Okay, so uh, this is going to be uh, the overview for our Exalted game, Princes of the Universe. Uh, it's just us in the house right now, so it's me, Devin, and... Nicole. And... And Kevin. Kevin is dying a little bit today, so feel bad for him. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so uh, we're running an Exalted game using the 3rd edition rule set that came out this year, 2015, um, and it's probably the first actual Exalted game we've run. Uh, we did a brief game, uh, I think two years ago, but it didn't really go anywhere because 2nd edition and 2.5 are a living nightmare <laughs> that we'll never wake up from. Uh, so, what's a good way to talk about Exalted as like an introduction to the game before we get into like, Season 1, Season 2 stuff? I guess. As an introduction to the world? Okay, so, uh, I don't know, maybe... So is that what you're saying we should do? Should we? Would that, would that help people? Pretty sure people know what Exalted is for listening. Okay, well, how about what Exalted means for us? Okay, you go first. Right. Sure. Alright, uh, so, I was introduced to Exalted a long time ago, probably when first edition was around, and I only ever played, like, I've only ever been a player, like, twice ever. Uh, I've mostly usually run or watched people play. And uh, Exalted was described as some sort of over-the-top anime fantasy uh, power boner game. Uh, and basically those are the games that I saw run uh, at the university I hung out with. That's kind of what they just were. Uh, like, you'd have GMs give a circle, uh, a circle of, like, Solar's Essence 5 and not allow anyone else to play Solar's because they were perfect and just have them do crazy stuff. Or they'd get into a fight with the, the first Forsaken Lion. Insane shit. And this is before Gurren Logan came out, uh, so it was mostly, like... 80s anime they were using for reference. Uh, once I started reading Exalted and actually getting into the lore and history of it, it's a, it's a much more nuanced game, I find. That's my interpretation of it. Uh, the best example I was told was, it's the Epic of Gilgamesh. Everyone's Gilgamesh or Enkidu at the time. And that's, you know, kind of a great... Uh, if you're familiar with the myth, it's kind of a great way to go from, because Gilgamesh was this big, over-the-top, uh, huge personality dude who also had like a bunch of flaws and uh, character development to him that made him really tragic and really awesome. It's also where like giant cloud strife buster sword weapons came from, because like in the original Epic of Gilgamesh, um, him and Enkidu were using knives that weighed 40 pounds or were made of solid iron, <laughs> or like as big as like, you know, a chair. And those were knives. Whatevs. Uh... So, yeah, Exalted's A, for me, is a refreshing break from European fantasy-centric games. Uh, it's done by White Wolf, and they're kind of hit or miss as far as counterculture gaming goes these days. Like, uh, back when they first started up, there was only D&D, and I think, like, Rifts, and maybe Shadowrun. And uh, when White Wolf came onto the scene, they were like, instead of like a game where you build really mechanically optimized awesome people who murder constantly, they're like, here's a game where you're a vampire. It takes place now. Uh, the rules are kind of fuzzy. Y you guys see Interview with a Vampire? That's what this game is. <laughs> and they reduced, then they released, like, uh, Mage, which was like, um, I don't know what movie they based it off of. And then they did a werewolf one. Then they just did every Universal Monster. Uh, Exalted First Edition was tied into the World of Darkness, the classic World of Darkness. Like, it was the, uh, the, the untold origin story for the world. <laughs> So, like, Solars were hunters from Hunter the Reckoning, uh, Abyssals were vampires, werewolves were lunars. I'm really glad I never knew First Edition. Um, that sounds stupid. It's really stupid. Um, like, uh, the, the, the 
Neverborn were called Malfians because there was a Malfius in Mage, and that's where they came from. And the Underworld from Wraith was uh, in Exalted. That's what the Underworld was in Stygia and shit. Uh, and, and Kindred of the East, the, the Japanese vampire game they released, was tied into Exalted. They were the, um, like, the Ebon Dragon and everything was in there, too. They, they cut that because it was dumb. But now that um, Onyx Path Publishing has a license for Exalted, but they licensed it from CCP, the people who do um, EVE Online, and those people sold it to the people who do Crusader Kings. And apparently people are talking a lot about how they kind of like the, uh, the White Wolf origin story stuff because they want to make uh, new, new vampire games and like new White Wolf games. And they're like, oh yeah, we just tie it all in together, one product. Don't do that. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be so bad. It's going to be great. I do want more vampire and everything. That's fun, but... Well, they're, they're, they think more like, like video games, like, you know, where you raise armies and stuff. Like, they do a lot of really cool games like that. They're also the company that put out City Skylines. I don't know what that is. It's that... Uh, remember how SimCity was a big piece of shit? No. Oh, well, SimCity, the newest one, was a big piece of shit, and the EA lied to their fans about everything about it. Hmm. Like, how it was developed. Uh, uh, if you if It had to be always on, always on the internet. Hmm. And it was just garbage. And then these guys released a game called City Skyline, or they helped whoever made it release it and that game is perfect in every way <laughs> so people like these guys uh but yeah for me exalted's uh like a game about telling really interesting mythic stories uh that aren't euro fantasy tainted unless you look at um the mountain folk which are elves dwarves and hobbitses um in a really cool setting that's been well written that has like uh, these two people uh, Grabowski and Jenna Morin they did like the original outline for Exalted and it was they're, they're, they're like huge buffs on like history and fantasy and like um, like myth stuff so that that really colored what they were doing um yeah so like half of my description was like politicized uh, polarized ranting slash things I liked vaguely explained what do uh, what do you two like about Exalted uh, well, when I first actually heard about Exalted was when I was first getting into tabletop in general. It was probably one of the first games I actually played outside of just vanilla D&D. And uh, it had a very interesting concept. You know, it was just, you're essentially playing Greek heroes with an East Asian twist. Hmm. And I really liked that concept. I always found the idea of heroes like that, you know, complex and flawed and powerful I really liked that concept, so, you know, when I heard of the setting, uh, especially the nature of the Infernals, the Lunars, the uh, more off-kilter types of Exalted were very interesting to me. Would you say that uh, the way Exalted embraces you being powerful from the start is a little more appealing than how D&D kind of just assumes you're killing rats in a basement? Where you're working from the bottom? Yeah, I actually really like that, where you're, you can start as an established hero or someone who's already achieved greatness. Like, yeah, it lends itself nicely to being um, in charge already as yeah. you go up. Like, that's the whole concept of Solars, especially, is you do something amazing, you exult, and now you can do even better things. And I really like that. That's such a refreshing change from other games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't see you don't see a lot of that even in uh, White Wolf and Wizards of the Coast products, uh, especially Shadowrun from uh, whoever made Shadowrun Framework or whatever. A lot of them assume that you're you're killing rats in a dungeon. Yeah, it's like look at even the likes of uh, Vampire, where you usually start with your like level one or yeah, you're a neonate. Neonate. So everyone's gonna treat you like. A neonate. Everyone takes a shit on you constantly. Yes, exactly. Where in Exalted, you're all 
equal with other exalted. Very few are going to treat you like garbage outside of the realm. But that's different. They they that's more hate setting. You because you're yeah. powerful, though they don't. They hate you because you they ain't you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, Nicole, what do you like about exalted? What draws you to it? Basically, everything you just talked about. How you don't start off as some. Nobody. A pleb. Yeah, you start off as someone who's already important. Um, also, I really like that, especially with the way the system's written now, you don't have to be a combat character in order to enact like great changes or in order to be able to actually be an effective character. Like you can go the social route or the like crafting and everything like that and. Crafting, for the most part, you're going to be more behind the scenes for the bulk of what you do, but you can still be effective in, like, uh, in a mission or whatever. Like, you can still... You're more empowered to enact change upon the world. Exactly. Whereas, even in most other games I've encountered, crafting is like, okay, so you do that in the background, and what are you going to do when you're actually playing? And I'm like, well, I invested all these points in crafting, and now I can't do anything else? What? Um, so that's one of the things I like. My character specifically this time is a crafter. Um, in general, yeah, I, like, once again, I do like that it's non-Western. That's a cool change um, from basically every single other game in existence. Everything gets its DNA from Token. Right? What else do I like about Exalted? Those are basically the two main things. The fact that you start off as someone who already has power or command of things. Um, you're not just going to walk into a town and people are going to ignore you. Unless, of course, you want them to, and you pretend you don't exalt it, that's a different story. I can't really think of anything else. Yeah, that, that's something that I, I saw when I was looking at the crafting system, too. It does enable you to, um, and this is something I read of on the forums I actually agree with, uh, crafting in this game now is not a, a uh, game you engage with, it's now a character archetype. So if you have a thief who like breaks into locks or robs people or steals stuff, or your fighter who swings a sword around, those are character types, and now crafter's a character type. You know, you want to kill someone, you make something to kill him, you know, poison, or you cook something, or you make an elaborate trap, and it does it right there in the session. Um, you want to get into a door, you tear it down, because craft lets, makes you great at disassembling. Fallout 4, I think, uh, really engenders us to that kind of thinking, being hoarders and scavengers. <laughs> Uh, now that it's out and it's, you know, basically started to scratch the hoarder itch in all of us. So good. Hell, you just take a few uh, merit points of uh, command, retainer, and you can just equip them with, you know, yeah. heavy artifact weapons. Yeah, out the gate. You know, if you want to flood the market with Masterwork Swords, Masterwork Swords, which was like a thing they talked about in Pathfinder, um, used to cast a spell called Wall of Iron, right? And in 3rd edition, you can rip the wall apart to make Masterwork gear for your people and flood the market. They patch that in Pathfinder because clever ideas are dumb. Uh, <laughs> in Exalted, yeah, you take command, resources, retainer, have materials on hand, you're a crafter, boom. Uh, the, the way the slots work, it would be either superior, and if you have the right charms, in like a week's time, you've made enough gear for a hundred fucking people. Mm -hmm. and that's the best it could ever be. Done. And if you want to flood the market with it, you could, because what's going to stop you? Yeah. No yeah. one. <laughs> Certainly not the market. It can't stop you. <laughs> I really feel with Exalted, even putting aside any kind of mechanics or anything, it seems like the setting itself, and maybe that's just your DM style, like it is for the most part, but Exalted seems to encourage approaching problems in different ways a lot more. 
And basically any other kind of game, it's like, okay, so there's a problem, and you're like, okay, well, we're going to go fight the problem. Uh, whereas this one, it's like, okay, so you could talk to the local gods, the local government, the guild, you could do all this other stuff instead of just straight up going and fighting it. It encourages solving problems without getting your hands dirty. Yeah. Which is a valid way to play to play the game, whereas in, say, even Shadowrun or D&D, they expect you to go on the dungeon run. Especially Shadowrun, that's all Shadowrun is. Yeah, like if you just paid off other Shadowrunners to do it, and then killed them and took their money afterwards, they'd well, be you're like... you're not a Shadowrunner then, you're just... You're, you're Mr. Johnson, good for you. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I find that too, Exalted encourages... Um, Right-angle thinking, you know, coming at it from outside a different uh, part of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. I, I like how it's more... I, I don't think it's specifically Exalted, but I think Exalted just engenders this better. Uh, more proactive approaches to characters. Like, when you build your character, you, the stuff that you make up for your dude will probably be stuff that will focus the game around. You know, um, say when you Exalted, you took over a town. Well, that's going to be a major hook for your character. You took over a town. It's yours. Uh, whereas, like, in D&D, that would be, like, maybe the midpoint or the end of, like, a season where, you know, oh, and now this, this trading town is yours, or you have a kingdom now, what are you going to do with it? Yeah. Exalted starts you there and and encourages you to make that your story. So if I'm like, oh, there's an elephant god causing problems over there, you're like, we're going to ignore that, and we're going to deal with this castle we're building. <laughs> yeah. This is more important. If elephant god comes around here, we're going to gut him and put his head on top of our wall. Or more likely, hey, there's an elephant god, we should get him, take him to be ours, and now we can have elephant people doing whatever we want. I was, I was assuming a never-ending ivory factory. Exactly. Like uh, Khan from the new Star Trek movie, where they have him you know, tied up and draining his blood for healing powers all the time. Which is exactly how that would go. Yeah, like upside down, him being spun around like a centrifuge, blood draining <laughs> out of little pipes connected to him. <laughs> Another thing I really like... Um, Kevin was talking about how he likes, like, lunars and abyssals or whatever. Infernals. Like, whatever other alchemicals. exiles there are. But alchemicals are definitely my favorite in that. Uh, and the whole setting for... Autocathonia? Yeah, Autocathonia is definitely, like, something that I find super interesting. It's completely separate from the main thing you like about Exalted. It's, like, a completely different setting, a different feel for the game. Diametrically it still, opposed. It is still Exalted. And interacting with... When you're a solar exalt, interacting with alchemicals is really interesting. It can be super frustrating, but it's really interesting. Yeah, they, they, they come about being a champion or a hero from different point of views. The solar, exactly. the solar manages from the top, and the, the alchemical uh, manages from the bottom, it looks like. Yeah. And not in a negative way, it's just they, they pull people up with them, whereas solars rain you know, life and improvements down from, a, from up above. Exactly. Solars are rulers, alchemicals are heroes. They help the people as a function of who they are. Or Solars, I mean, you can have that kind of character, but for the most part, Solars are the ones that are in charge of everything. Yeah, yeah. it lends itself to that. Yeah, more. it's really it's really interesting is having those two times, types of uh, archetypes, I guess, I don't know. Is yeah. It? Interesting things that come up in games that you don't really see, uh, just because Exalted seems to focus specifically on what every RPG is born from, the, the monomyth. You know, like how kind of every story or or um, legend or campfire thing or us playing pretend is centered around telling a story about a hero or a group of heroes who do a thing, hit a high point, get pushed back, overcome a dude, and then, you know, it caps out. 
It also looks like it goes to like the, the 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 bones or the DNA of where that those stories come from and tries to make it the entire point about the game. Whereas like in D and D, we're playing D and D because we all like you know Lord of the Rings and stuff. <laughs> you know those kinds of little adventures. Hmm. I, I'm not articulating it as well as I, I think I could, but um, it it seems really obvious when I play Exalted that it's meant to be a, 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 a an engine through which you tell very primal stories. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Where, where the choices you're making have have a lot more of a ripple effect just because you guys are being... Uh, there's a magnitude to it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's very ramped up. Like, a single, you know, storyline in Exalted it could asse- is essentially, like, an entire campaign for D&D. Yeah, I think that holds true, actually, that thought. Um, what, did, what did you guys just do? What did you guys just do? You went to the wild, encountered a fake broken kingdom ruled by a mushroom king... Dealt with his shit, found a friend, and then came back from, like, the chaos of unreality. Yeah, that was, like, one session? Two Three sessions. Yeah. One story. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was a couple sessions, whereas in D&D, that would be an entire thing. Yeah, that was, like, an episode of Game of Thrones. <laughs> we wouldn't have left the castle yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, alright, so that's what we like about Exalted. That's kind of what draws us to it and what our perspectives on it, uh, perspectives on it are. Um... Should we talk about the setting or the... How about the system? Third edition. I know you guys have a bit of experience with second. I have probably more so just because I do a lot of the, the background work. How are you guys liking third now that we have we have played the leaked pirated version and the backer preview that came out that I uh, have access to because I'm a Kickstarter backer? I had so little opinion on the uh, second edition. I was so new to tabletop that just everything was... New and shiny? New and shiny, mm, yes. Yeah. So... But from what I see, third edition is definitely an improvement. Everything's very st- streamlined. Uh, the social system, which we are kind of still adjusting to, is yes. very interesting. Oh wow, that's a lot of wind going through. Yeah, you can hear the ground shaking. For me, um, I basically had no experience with Exalted. Actually, hmm. I knew a lot about the setting and like all this background stuff with the actual system i think i played for like a couple sessions like one time in two po- two second edition Is yeah 2.5 just second right second we 2.5 yeah. was only the game we had with uh stefan co uh two years ago yeah so i played a couple sessions in second i played like literally half a session or something in 2.5 and then this game in third so I basically have no experience with the systems from the other ones. I remember being really frustrating because there was just so much of everything. Uh, there still is a lot of so much of everything here, but I think I just... Now that I understand that, you know, you, I'm going to make a certain type of character, so that's what I'm going to focus my stats on kind of thing. They really is it improves... recording? Oh, yeah, it's recording. Okay. <laughs> I was like, having to stop being on recording the entire time? I, I, I had to look to make sure I didn't have it plugged into headphones for a second. That would have been embarrassing. We're yes. professionals here. <laughs> um, I really like what they did with sorcery in third edition. It's oh my god, right? Where, you know, it's actually plausible to be a sorcerer and it's not... It's not a trap. Uh, that is the the capitalized word for exalted uh, before third. Traps. Traps everywhere. Um, building a wrong way. The, the bonus point to experience point divide in character creation. Um, exalted is famous for punishing people for taking certain options and making their characters unplayable. Yeah, and I 
I literally only use two spells, one of which is just kind of hovering around me at all times. It's still, there's so much you can do just by having sorcery, like mini rituals or stuff like that. Stuff that just is so freeform that... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what it's, I'm saying, too. It's you surprisingly freeform. You can basically describe what you want to do, and you can do it. There's no, this is this spell. This is this spell. Yeah, for, for reference to people who aren't that familiar with 3rd edition, um, in previous editions of Exalted, sorcery was you take a charm, one power, and then you get access to spells. And that was basically it. You needed a charm for everything, for summoning demons, for banishing them, for counterspelling, just everything. It was a huge waste of resources, and investing in sorcery... Um, the best way to go would be take sorcery and then take the demon summoning spells. Anything else was a waste of your goddamn time, and it was uh, it made you less effective and made you uh, super squishy and killable because uh, spells took forever to cast. In third edition, sorcery gives you three entire things just for taking uh, the first charm for it. It gives you access to spells, which you get a free one for, and that free one becomes your central focal spell and becomes better than your other spells. It gives you access to um, uh, initiations which are basically ways for you to cast spells faster and better when you're spellcasting. Um, and it also unlocks merits you can take that can do stuff like it, let you set fire from your eyes at people or uh, be immune to fire. Or stuff like it makes you better at like, res- resisting stuff or making you better at your strength and shit. Skyward Effulgent Majesty needs eye lasers. I'm surprised you haven't taken eye lasers yet. Yeah. And the third thing sorcery gives you is the access to the, the, the jewel of sorcery. Sorceress Workings, as Kevin said, a free-form system for basically doing whatever you goddamn well please with sorcery and it lasting forever. Um, you can even do celestial level... You can even do... You start at level 1 and it goes to 3. You can even do level 2 things at sorcery level 1, just it takes longer and takes more people. So, uh, out the gate, at Essence 1, at character creation, you can be doing two-thirds of every sorceress power in the game... Um, as long as you have the time and resources to put into it. And that's an amazing amount of power to give out to the sorcerer archetype. Mm -hmm. It means with one charm, you know, terrestrial circle sorcery, a sorcerer is an entire character concept onto its own. It's so good that I can't, I can honestly not think of a reason why most sorcerers shouldn't just take it out the gate, or most any other character that has access to sorcery. Mm -hmm. It's just that good. (laughs) It it enriches every character. I also find it funny because we have a Dawncast who's a fighter, and he's really good at fighting. We have a... Jeremy's in Eclipse. You're in a Twilight. I have a Twilight cast who's really good at crafting. That's basically all I do. Um, I have, like, little stuff here and there. I'm really good at teaching people. I have a lot of knowledge, of course. We're working into it, yeah, Um, growing. Then we have Jeremy's character, Eclipse. I'm not really sure what he's really good at. He's really good at having a a Triceratops and fighting with it. And also, uh... Bureaucracy. Bureaucracy and stuff. Okay, cool. Uh, but Kevin's character was, like, a sorcerer-slash-social character. And we're like, okay, yeah, whatever, just don't get in fights, right? No, she kills everything. She She's the best person you want in combat. I'd rather hide behind her than hide behind the Dawncast. Performance-based martial <laughs> arts are amazing. Right? Yeah, it's just <clears throat> so hard to approach them if they're dance or if they're performing while they're fighting. Yeah, mm-hmm. you just have so much stuff, and because you were both of those, you have a wider variety of things you can do, because you also have sorcery, mm-hmm. and you're also a social character, and you also have your martial arts, which is 
very strange. Yeah. Three of the solars have sorcery, which means at any given time, if these guys really wanted to ramp up their assault on someone, they can have a host of, you know, specially summoned demons at their disposal to do whatever they damn well want. That's one thing I don't do enough of, I think, is, uh, you know, summoning demons just one after another whenever I can. Well, there, there's diminishing returns with it, because they only last either forever, which means that, um, if you do forever, that means, you know, go fight that army. That means they'll go one at a time every day and die fighting the army. Yeah. Or if you do a year and a day, then you only have the day before a year and a day goes up to send 365 demons at someone. Yeah. So, and you know what? You've solved basically one problem a session with demons. So I think you're I think you're getting good mileage out of that spell. Fair enough. We're still using the uh, the wasps from first session. I think. Yeah, the agate. Yeah, yeah you got and wasps. Also, you know, use demons last session for corpse retrieval. Yeah, you had wasps do corpse retrieval. You had a neoma do your own little project stuff you're working on. You 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 get good I mean, mileage. Here, gathering every single piece of a war starter we broke. Yeah, construction work. You get pretty good mileage out of your sor- demon sorcery. True enough. Uh, so that's 3rd edition. Uh, me as a DM, 3rd uh, edition is just much better. Uh, it's nice to have a, an edition of Exalted that's playable. Uh, because 1st and 2nd were unsalvageable nightmares. A big waste of money and time. And yeah, like like um, Holden and co. have said that the quick characters in Exalted 3rd... They're, they're quick characters. They're very stripped down. Uh, they're basically NPC write-ups. He has said that even when the other books for the other type of Exalts come out, and the other type of creatures come out... DMs and the system are written with the expectation that you're using quick characters for most encounters. You're not supposed to use the Dragonblooded book to write up every single Dragonblooded they encounter. You're supposed to use quick characters unless they really, truly matter. Now, that being said, uh, that takes so much stress off of me. In 2nd edition, you needed the core book, the errata book, the splat book, the gear book, the splat book's errata book, and any other book that referenced it. You need at least six books to write up one NPC adversary. And that would take me three, four hours if I didn't know what I was looking for and I was just kind of reading and, you know, double-checking a rat in print. Now, of course, Thur doesn't have bloat yet, but, you know, Holden and Co. have said, a good book's only released once, like, a bad book's forever, or whatever his quote is. So, unless they want the most egg on their face imaginable, I can't imagine them releasing books that need huge errata changes, like... The Mask of Winter is using the First and Forsaken lines right up uh, in 2nd edition. Illiterate. And being illiterate. Or <laughs> Octavian the Living Tower's 2nd edition core write up being the weakest demon in the game by dint of how badly it was written in 2nd edition. Uh, I don't think, you know, since they've put so much of their, their eggs in this basket, that they're going to let the shit like that slide for 3rd. For I, I think, you know, it should stay mechanically solid without power creep. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> hey, third time's a charm. Eh, eh, charms, charms, eh. <laughs> And we just lost our listeners. Whatever. Only the lame ones who don't like puns. Oh yeah, what, are two fucking listeners, me refreshing the page, and whoever just stumbles onto this, sees three hours long, and goes, nope. <laughs> Fuck them. What's it called, though? Um, I don't remember, you said something you distracted me. Sorry. We should take notes or something next time. Meh. No. Um, so yeah, that's the system. The system's great. Um, I'm really liking it. Um, oh know. yeah, what I was going to say is oh. it's a shame that Exalted, that uh, Alchemicals are probably going to be like the last book. Yeah, Exalted is probably going to come out in 2020, 2018. Alchemicals, yeah. Yeah. Uh, though, and this is my <laughs> shout out for the day, there's a guy called Sandact6 or something on the Onyx Path Exalted forum. 
And in three, four days or two weeks or whatever he said, he did two to three hundred pages of Exalted uh, converting from 2.5 to third. For alchemicals. For alchemicals. Yeah. So you could just play alchemicals right fucking now with third edition. And Which that guy fantastic. that guy is a saint. Yeah. Get that guy into the bomb shelters <laughs> if the bombs fall. <laughs> <laughs> we will need people like him to convert things to third edition if the world ends. <laughs> Um, I'm using that, that material he wrote for, uh, for the alchemicals that show up in this game. Uh, one of them is a companion and there's like another circle of guys, you know, that stuff's great. Um, and alchemicals was written with third edition in mind when it was written in second edition. It was one of the last books produced. It was alchemicals, the direction book, uh, the, 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 the book about, um, capitalism, the, the money book, <laughs> and then the book about alternate reality settings. Mm. So, uh, yeah, Sandak 6, or whatever your form name is. Kudos. You're a goddamn hero. Now, if that other guy who's trying to do a lunar conversion can hurry his goddamn shit up, that'd be great. <laughs> what the fuck's wrong with you? It's been weeks. You're so horrible. You're bad, and you should feel bad. He has, like, a broken leg or something at home, or, like, his entire family was wiped out in a plane crash. Single tear going down his cheek. <laughs> what the fuck, man? Uh, Alright, so that's 3rd edition, the setting, or the system. Um, setting for Exalted? Any comments, guys, about uh, you know, setting stuff we'd want to talk about? Well, what do you guys like about the setting? It's very large. Um, not, it is. It, yes, physically, but I meant more... Um, there's so many places in the world that are really well fleshed out, to the point that like you can basically go any direction and stumble into something that's... Cool. Yeah, it's cool, it's, it's uh, complex... It's really diverse. Yeah, it's also very diverse. Mm-hmm. I mean, hell, you go into the wild and you can pretty much have anything going on, as we learned. Yes. <laughs> Fuck that guy. Uh, definitely, with with um, the the just a large amount of stuff written for creation, you could lose entire kingdoms and civilizations inside one of the uh, one of the four directions in there. Exactly. We've like, basically only been in the south and brief jaunts to the east. Very brief. Like, we were in Lookshy's at the east. Lookshy's in the, the quote-unquote scavenger lands, but it's yeah. in the east. Like, that's the furthest we've went any time. Like, we, we didn't go anywhere else. You could run... Besides Cherescuro, but I'm pretty sure that counts as south. Yeah, it's part of the south. Yeah. Uh, you could run an entire game in a small part of the east or north or whatever and never leave and never even know there was a realm or a blessed isle and stuff. Exactly. You could do all of Game of Thrones in the north. It'd be so fun. Because it's not all ice. Like, there's a... Like a south-north continent of the north that's just, you know, not made of pure ice. Yeah, it's called the Ice Plain, so I'm assuming it's like, um... Chilly. Yeah. You'll, you'll catch a... Like a you'll need like a the good jacket. Tundra kind of thing. Where yeah. Where it's like, there's not ice everywhere, but there's going to be snow fairly often. Yeah, and there's stuff living there. Yeah. Uh, I think that's great. Yeah, diversity is another thing. Like, um, the, the amount of material the writers have pulled for Exalted is really impressive. Like... Uh, it's kind of like Buffy, how Buffy pulls from every single goddamn culture for some of its stories. Hmm. So you'll get, you know, a lot of it's like Asian, Orient-inspired kind of mythology and like systems, like um, the bureaucracy system or the, the the way government of the realm is done is very Chinese, Japanese, Korean expired. Expired? Inspired. Expired. <laughs> Their time has come. <laughs> um, you know, that kind of stuff, like. Like, there's just, it pulls from everywhere, and it'll kind of, you know, surprise you. I think there's, like, people have noticed, like, stuff from, like, Finnish history or mythology in there. 
you know, German, Russia, um, fucking Autochthonia draws heavily from Soviet era culture. Yeah. It's all about that. Dead air. You guys, uh... I don't really have anything to say. Setting be good? Yeah. Yeah. Alright, so this game specifically, um... What do you guys what do you guys like about this game as it's coming along? We have already done a season and an entire story in Exalted Princes of the Universe. Well, um, once again, this is mostly your DM style, but I like how when we started off, we could have done anything we wanted. Uh, and we just decided that we were gonna go the city building route. Roll domination. Yeah. Actually. Like <clears throat> well yes, but I mean we could have gone about that so many different ways. We could have just gone on a war path. But instead, we're setting up our base, we're fortifying it with, like, resources, with trade, we talked to the realm and got everything set up, like... The guild. The guild. Yes, not the realm, fuck those guys. Um, we could have gone so many different ways when the game started, and, yeah, we're doing city building. We're finding out, like, how to do resources for the whole entire village, because we have so many followers and cultists and everything. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's the most interesting part, and the part that, like, we're actually... Like, we went to the guild and talked to them, like, bureaucracy or whatever. It was fairly exciting yeah. and fairly, like, uh, dynamic, too, when you guys had to do that. Exactly. It wasn't boring, which is nice. Um, talking to Metroplex, that was fun. Basically, everything about the game is fun. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, there are a few characters I hate, but that's more... They're so rich. Yeah, it's more I hate them because they are good characters, not because they're bad characters. So, you know, there's that. <laughs> uh, what I like a lot about this the game we're doing in particular is a lot of the character interactions and development that have occurred uh, you know there's heavy character interplay there's a lot of clashing personalities oh and, yes uh, which all seems to be coming to a head so that'll be interesting well you did do that thing yeah this, this recording is taking place just before the third session of story number two uh, so if a baby hasn't come up yet in the podcasts, uh, this is written just before that session's about to happen. Uh, if you're hearing it, if you're hearing this podcast after you've heard the podcast of what happens with that stuff, then this should be quite quaint scenes. We don't know what's going to happen yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. Like even all the NPCs, like all the companions and everything have such personality and their own like lives and backstory that... Interacting with all of them is like it's not hollow. It's not hey, I'm Jim. I'm your sword guy. I'm your friend or whatever. It's actually like a whole entire life, a whole person you can talk to. And yeah, they don't always get along with us very well. Or each other. Yeah, or each other. Uh, a lot of the design philosophy I did for this game because I wanted this game to to have staying power and to kind of not not run out of ideas because hmm. even though creation is huge and there's a lot of stories you could tell in Exalted, um, that 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 doesn't matter if people want to engage with them. So I basically made sure that every ally or like mentor you guys took would in some way uh, have its own kind of story to it and and go on its own kind of direction while also you know inferring stuff about telling telling story about your characters. And with Exalted and the whole past lives thing and, like, the history and whatnot, uh, you can really, you know, it's, it's easy pickings, considering that um, the two allies, or the one ally Kevin picked out and the one ally Nicole picked out were both from the first age, yeah. uh, through various means. <laughs> um, but even with Void Within Without, who isn't from the first age, he's, he's fairly contemporary to your guys' age. And Abyssal. Um, 
The Abyssal, yeah. Yeah. Well, I know what it is. I was just saying, like, you're saying names. You probably want to say I'm sure the readers who know Exalt would be like, Void Within Without. I wonder what Exalt type he is. <laughs> um, even with him, he doesn't have, like, any real connection to you guys other than you interacting with him. Uh, his story or his backstory will help kind of tell more about what you guys are like and, like, infer about your character's personalities and, and choices. Um, the design uh, I went for was based on Persona with social links. Yes. So, um, basically, like, there's no, like, ri- I don't have, like, a written map or anything about what social link unlocks what uh, visual novel event scene with each ally, <laughs> but I know that as you as you go through each kind of tier with these NPCs, different parts of their personality and even different parts of their powers will start to unlock. Like, with, uh, with, um... Robot Man, Nightman. Mm-hmm. With the Nightman, he's an alchemical who hasn't had repairs or, or health done in in, cent- in millennia. So at the end of his social link, when you when you actually unlock it, or at the end of his second one or whatever, you might actually get him to a VATS facility and fix him, and then his stats will alter because he'll be stronger. And he might have more concise memories. Or he might get a lot of his personality issues fixed because he's the VATS facility will do like psychological healing to his mind. I thought that was one of the things he was doing in heaven. No, that was nothing to do with him. No, There's a VATS facility in Yushan! Yeah, he's not going to that. Why? Because he has shit to do in Yushan. So he does his shit, he goes to the thing. He might have to run and not be able to get there. Yeah, it okay, is. fair enough if he needs to run away, but you know what? He is always running Wait. away from shit and never I, letting us help. I thought he had to go to the VATS facility to dispose of the No, no, he has to go to uh, the Great Maker's Cathedral, and like right. it might have a VATS facility in it or something, but it's on heavy lockdown, so if he does something in there, he might only be able to do one thing. Yeah. Oh, so maybe he'll get his something fixed and not anything else. No, he's get rid of that hand. Yeah. That's the thing he's going to do. Anyway, uh... Definitely something that's been going on in the background is... Is the Exalted slowly learning about, you know, their past lives? Backstory of who they used to be, essentially. Definitely seems to be a running theme. Yeah. Sins of the past, definitely. Especially seeing as we all have different views on the First Age. Now that we've learned a bit more about it, my character falls into the whole Aztec human sacrifice, eating the hearts of his sacrifice people. He falls into that very easily because it's awesome and he likes it and his companion fuels that because she was there. Uh, Whereas the Killer Queen, the more she learns about it, the more horrified she is. And same with my character, the Majestic. He's also horrified with it, but it's also awesome. It's awe-inspiring. He's very... He has a very hard time... Adjusting, essentially. Meanwhile, with the queen, she is actively trying to rail against it, but at the same time, it's causing her to stumble heavily and fall into uh, old habits. So <laughs> it's very hard not to. It's very hard to escape old habits, especially when you've had a lifetime. Uh, you've had multiple lifetimes of reincarnation. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something that I've brought up a lot in this game specifically. Like, I don't do it for every game with uh, you know people who have past lives, but for this circle, it seemed appropriate to kind of cement the idea of you're, you're a legacy of different people who've inherited this kind of, uh, this mantle of power. Mm-hmm. Especially because two of our companions were from the First Age, so they've known us in multiple incarnations, so it's definitely something that's coming up heavily. Yeah, it paints a picture mm-hmm. and, it, and it allows to kind of tell a story of, uh, like, a sort of modified story of nature versus nurture. Yes. What also, makes a, what makes a lawgiver? And it's funny, because my companion is very pro- how we used to be, and the Killer Queen's companion is very con how we used to be, so we're getting two sides of the story as well. 
she talks about how awe-inspiring we were, how powerful we were, how everyone loved us. The Nightman talks about all the people that were crushed under our heel, essentially. And make an omelet. Yeah. Uh, dress for the job you want. Dress for the job you want. <laughs> and the biggest part of it is that they both hold back a lot of information about yes. our past <laughs> lives to uh, either to further their own agenda about it or to, or, you know, it's an uncomfortable, painful topic. Mm-hmm. It seems to be a bit of both. Complexity and dynamic uh, NPCs dealing with that kind of stuff were probably the best solution because if if you don't kind of like out of character like like from from a, from a writing perspective if I don't gate the information you get about the first stage then the first stage is meaningless mm-hmm. it's not you know the first stage this kind of this this golden Shambhala or this uh, this El Dorado kind of holy land it's oh it had skyscrapers and flying cars all right cool. It was a future land. Yeah, it was Tomorrowland. Whatever. <laughs> That's cool. My character also has kind of nostalgia for that. Uh, especially seeing as this is the first time in his life he's ever had any kind of power at all. Even like power over his own self. So This is a good segue to talk about your characters, actually. Seeing as this is kind of the, the pre-podcast for season one. Yeah. Yeah, um... Before he was exalted, scoured Fulgen Majesty under his mortal name, <laughs> he was a slave. He had been bought when he was very young, like, I'm going to say probably around three years old. He had exhibited, like, he was very, he's always been very beautiful, but he also exhibited very, uh, very high cognitive skills. He was very intelligent for his age, uh, and yeah, he was bought up by basically a merchant prince and raised to be a slave, but to be a asset in not a manual labor kind of way, but in a creative kind of way. He was a crafter. His, in, his intelligence was um, nurtured. He, learned, he was an artisan. Exactly. He learned so many different languages. He was that kind of um, help to his master. Uh, and then his master joined up with the Killer Queen. Uh, who was already exalted at the time. Yep. Yeah. They were going about their business. They were raiding a uh, old a first age um, tomb? That's the word for it? Yeah. He, yeah. They, were, they were raiding an old first age tomb. Turned out that Skyward's master had already been in an exalt, but no one knew about it because he was hiding it like a sneak. Then Skyward uh, was going through the runes and he ended up exalting just from the sheer magnitude of it? Yeah, the sheer magnitude of everything there. It was one of his past uh, like creations that was there. It was one of his old tombs, and he had built it in his past lives when he was an exalt and was doing that kind of uh, scale of crafting. And this, the, the magnitude of it, the beauty and everything, uh, he exalted just from sheer wonder. Uh, and did not help his ego any. <laughs> <laughs> He's always been fairly conceited. Uh, even though he was a slave, he was still afforded more freedom than a lot of others would have been, mm-hmm. and especially freedom to express himself, which is something that I'm assuming a lot of slaves don't have. Mm. Um, so when he confronted his master, his master basically said that, well, no, this stuff isn't yours. I don't care if it was yours in a past life. I own you. Therefore, everything's mine. That did not go over well. I did not go over well at all. No. In the interim, uh, one of Skyward's old companions, the Countess of Skyward Refulgent Majesty, uh, had been awoken from 
basically cryostasis. Yeah, she was a she's a dragon king, a Tarok, a sleeper, and the the solar essence flowing through the manse uh, opened up her chamber. And hearing that uh, <clears throat> the Nightcast, which was who Scarred Folded Majesty's master was, being so rude and disrespectful about it, uh, yeah, she ripped out his heart and gave it to Skyward. Yeah. Skyward ate his heart and uh, joined up with the Killer Queen. Yeah, the Nightcast sucked. <clears throat> yes. We retroactively like to say he did more and more horrible things, but... That's basically all that happened. He was, he was just a little rude, yes. He was rude to a me. little rude, yeah. Well, uh, the whole, like, no, I own you kind of thing. He like, did. No, yeah, but. Uh... <laughs> Nothing had changed from his perspective. True. The only thing that changed from his perspective is someone put a hand through their back and ripped out their heart through the front. <laughs> So yeah, uh, but yeah, the the majestic, as we we call Skyward Effulgent Majesty, because it's a song name, uh, megalomaniac, narcissistic, uh, conceited, <laughs> all synonyms. Uh, he also greatly values intelligence and knowledge. He despises illiteracy. How basically the entire world can't even read. That's just disgusting. Unacceptable. <laughs> yes, uh, he's. Does he very much hates the state the world is in right now? Everyone lives, um, but they don't live in squalor. But in comparison, they live in squalor. Uh, people have to worry about food, and they don't can't read. They don't know any languages. Sickness. Yeah, they have to worry about sickness. All Predators. this like degradation of culture, and like not even necessarily like yes, the day to day stuff where they might have to worry about food. That's horrifying. But the fact that like culture has degraded so much, people don't ever leave their own villages. They don't know anything. They're all so stupid. That's his main problem. Uh, and he wants to build that back up. He wants to basically enlighten the world. Mm -hmm. uh, not only through knowledge, but also, you know, all the wonders that were lost. All like the, the artifacts, everything like that from the first age. It's all gone. Everyone basically just uses sticks to fight now. <laughs> like... That's disgusting. <laughs> um, Rebar and a bit of concrete for hammers. Exactly. That's his. Uh, that's his main motivation for wanting to unite the world and bring it back up. Is to bring culture back to a level that it once was. To make the common man not be so common. <laughs> it sounds like the majestic uh, wants a world set up in such a way that someone with vision can unite it under culture and stuff. Would, would the Majestic say that he is one of those people who has that vision? Oh, definitely. All, all, he believes that all exalts, like all solar exalts, are the rightful rulers of creation. And, you know, they are. Um, but he doesn't necessarily want to rule himself. Uh, he does like being controlled. He likes ruling the people he is in control of. But he's not gunning for the top seat or anything. He believes that all solars are equals. So all solars would be the ones that would rule. Um, that's how he would want it to go. <laughs> Sounds like a golden age. Yes. Uh, he also does believe A golden that... age. He also does believe that all, um, all rulers have, like, a duty to the common man, though. He doesn't think that we should just... Despite the fact that he's all into human sacrifice and stuff, he does... You'll find most of those sacrifices are voluntary. Oh, very, At least 80%. Very voluntary. But he also believes that... Um, the rulers of a kingdom, not just 
Solars, but that's who he believes should be the top dog, essentially. They all have a duty to the common person. They have a duty to make the people that live under their life, under them, make their lives better. Um, so he doesn't really believe in ruling with an iron fist. He wants people to... He, want to subject themselves? Yes, he wants people to love him. He wants people to like living the way they're living. He wants them to live good lives. He wants them to be have knowledgeable lives. He wants them to, like, you know, have access to any kind of knowledge or, like, resources they might need or want to express themselves. Um, he's, he's very... He's very heavy on artistic ex- expression as well. So oh, when he's you're worrying an art about... Major. Pardon? Oh, he's an art major. <laughs> so when, he, when you have to worry about how much food you're going to have, you're not going to make great works. Right? Uh, that's one of his main things, too. Okay. Can't really think of anything else to say. That's plenty. He loves his uh, countess. And he does... He has a difficult relationship with some of the other characters. Um, you know, let, let's, I, I was going to move over to the, to the killer queen, but no, let's get into that. What What is the Majestic's relationship with the other players in this game? Um, well, I'm going to start with the NPCs. Uh, so his relationship with the countess... She is a sycophant. She loves him. And he eats that up, being the narcissist that he is. Uh, the constant praise and everything, though, from someone who greatly values how things used to be in the first age, she's not a very good influence on him. Like, if she hadn't been around, he probably wouldn't have fallen into the whole human sacrifice thing. Um, she, she, yeah, she's not a very good influence on him, but he loves her. Um... He doesn't really realize that she's a bad influence. He basically thinks that she's right. How could she be a bad influence? She says that you're great. Exactly. She's obviously right. She's obviously very intelligent. <laughs> um, so that's his relationship with her. Um, he doesn't really think of her as an equal, because she's not. She's not a solar exalt. Uh, also, the fact that she's constantly um, subjugating herself to him makes it so that you can never take her as an equal. She's obviously subservient. Uh, his relationship with the Nightman, the alchemical, who is the Killer Queen's ally. Oh, that guy is so annoying. Um, he respects the Nightman. The Nightman is... He basically thinks of him as an equal. Not just Solar Exalts, but for... The Majestic. Uh, for the most part, he thinks that Solar Exalts are equal and other Exalts are... Equal. First among equals. Yeah. Um, a word, a phrase that gets thrown around with shocking frequency in our game. Uh, but, so he thinks of the Nightman, he respects him like as an equal. He respects his prowess, his devotion to helping people, because that's basically all he does. But he is so infuriating, because he constantly blames us for stuff we did in past lives. And... The Majestic doesn't like that because it's used in a bad light instead of using it as a pra- way to praise him. Uh, once again, it's, it's okay super- when the Countess does it. Yes, because she's saying but we're awesome about it. Um, he's also very mistrustful and withholding of information, which Skyward is... The Majestic is very... Um, that very much annoys him. For one thing, he likes having knowledge, so that's irritating in its own right. For another thing, he just wants to help the Nightman do whatever he's doing, but he just hates them so much because of stuff they've done in past lives that... Yeah. So, he does not get along with the Nightman very much. He tries to. He tries really hard. He knows that the guy has PTSD. He's, he's trying to be tolerant, 
Well, he doesn't always succeed at being tolerant. <laughs> Void within without, uh, the Countess, or the um, Killer Queen's other ally, the Abyssal, he doesn't really interact with him. Mm. They went down into his basement once, and that was it. We don't need to go down there anymore. Uh, he doesn't like the things that the Abyssal does, um, but it's helpful to their cause, and he's basically only doing horrible things to criminals, which, you know. Or not people. Yeah, not people. I should point out for listeners who don't realize this, in their capital city, that is their base of operations they've set up, uh, the cults and government that runs the city for the solars that the solar set up uh, classify certain types of crimes and certain types of criminals as not mortals to get around the solar's edict to the, to the countess to not sacrifice people anymore. So if they're not criminal, if the criminals aren't people, then they're allowed to be sacrificed. Yes. And, and are human and don't have souls like real people. Yes, and essentially it's not just because they committed a crime, it's because they aren't able to accept the love of the solars into their heart. But yeah, it's a yeah. whole big thing to get around being able to do human sacrifice. Uh, essentially everyone's fine with that, though, because these are criminals. Um, Shockingly, you guys were all fine with it. Yes, it isn't Earth. We're not like against the death penalty because it's morally wrong. It's like, no, these guys did a bad enough crime. They're a threat to society or whatever. Go away. Uh, plus, also, we convert them first, so that's fantastic. Uh, but yes, does not get along with... Um, okay, he doesn't not get along. He doesn't butt heads with Void Within Without the way he does Nightman. But he definitely distrusts him a lot more. He doesn't really like being around him. He's this creepy child who does, like, death experiments and stuff. Like, he's fine with human sacrifices, with, like, the way the Countess does it. But Void Within Without is more, you know, tortury. He's more human experimentation, which is really Void Within, or the Majestic does not like. Uh, other NPCs who exist. I don't think there's any other NPCs. There's no ones that are really yeah, important. Uh, the cult and stuff. Yeah, uh, whatever. Skyward goes around town giving out ice cream, which everyone freaking loves. <laughs> the other party members, uh, he gets along with the Wanderer uh, basically just fine, although the Wanderer keeps threatening to kill the Countess, which is not acceptable. Um, basically because the Countess sacrificed some of the Wanderer's people before, but it was totally consensual, so I don't know why he's freaking out. <laughs> he gets along otherwise he gets along pretty well with him so that's um, the dawn then there's the night cast what? and we've already gone over how you get along with the night yeah. cast but the dawn cast um, oh. Skyward also is very frustrated because he's so stupid uh, so he basically lied to him to get him to uh, he told him that he has to learn how to read and like learn another language in order to use this power armor that he found uh, so he basically lied to him so that he'd learn to read because he didn't know how to read no, it was super disgusting <laughs> uh, we just met the Eclipse. Eclipse. Uh, so dawn, night, twilight. Twilight's you. We know how. We know what the majestic thinks of himself. Uh, eclipse. Yeah, eclipse, and then the zenith. Yeah, eclipse cast, uh, which is the traveler. Which these names are very interchangeable, which is very not good. The eclipse is played by Jeremy. His name is the traveler. He has a triceratops. Um, we just met him. Uh, when he first showed up, because he's a merchant, and he was hiding the fact that he was an exalt, um, so we are like, okay, this merchant came to town, cool, come have a feast. And then we realized that he was an, uh, an exalt, but we didn't really know anything about him. Skyward thought for a moment that it was his master uh, in his next incarnation. He was like, oh shit. Uh, no, totally just an Eclipse cast, that's fine. Uh, so they get along okay. Uh, he's 
We haven't really interacted with him a lot. He seems to keep his distance. He doesn't sleep in the same mountain as us. He sleeps outside with, like... The commoners? Not even the commoners. He sleeps with, like, the other merchants and stuff. He doesn't get to know us or the people we hang out with. Um, he does seem to occasionally disapprove of a lot of what we do, too. He's, he's just not he's used to it. He's very unvocal about it, though. He's, he's very... Like, he, he'll be like, Oh! Okay! He doesn't ever challenge us about it. So... He doesn't really bother with the Majestic. Um, he assumes that once they get to know each other better, he'll learn that the Majestic is right. <laughs> so he doesn't really interact with him that much. Now, the Killer Queen is... I think we should save the Killer Queen and how the two of them get together for the end of this after, after Kevin she... does his. Okay, yeah. So the listeners have a little more information on what each one thinks of everything. Okay. Uh, Kevin? Okay, so the Killer Queen is the Zenith uh, cast. She was based on a prototype of when I first played Exalted, where she was a Infernal who ran a hedonistic cult, uh, used Melfian the Living Tower as a Octavian the Living Tower. Octavian, right. And converted people into creatures of darkness in worship of Cecily. And she was essentially very much someone who embraced the Infernal lifestyle. Be a rock star. Don't yeah. not be a rock star. Meanwhile, the queen of this game was essentially a high school dropout who ran away from home, started a cult of redemption for people such as criminals, prostitutes, you know, people who... Addicts. Kind of, addicts. The dredges of society. It was essentially like, you know, let's live up this life. It's the only one we have. Well, it's not the only one We're... we have, but... <laughs> yeah, but... It's like, why care about the next life? Exactly. What benefit would there be in that? And essentially it was like, let's, we're all equals here. Let's have a second chance. And it kind of spiraled down into a cult of self-worship for her, where everyone worshipped her as their savior. And it essentially got big enough that it attracted the attention of... Uh, the, the Immaculate Order. The, yes, yes. And they... They burned that whole place to the ground, the whole monastery she had set up. But um, in the original game, this happened as well, before she became an Infernal, and in that one, she utterly failed to save her cultists. She uh, fell in the battle, and it was in her failure that she was offered a chance at... a second chance, essentially. In uh, this game, however, as a solar, she left several people behind to hold the line while she evacuated the... a good amount of her cult, essentially, and... In doing this act of heroism, uh, loosely, uh, allowed her to exult. At which point, one of her first acts was to delve into sorcery. At which point, she sacrificed all memory of her childhood, her family, and kind of left her. There was it essentially left a void there that she filled with finding other exalted. Uh, very much living in the now for the character, seeing as she has no past anymore. Yeah, yeah, very much. And essentially, after all that occurred, it caused a, a minor character change at first, where she was starting to be wonder if, you know, is this really what I want? Is this hedonism? Is this, uh, you know, living for the now what I want? And eventually she came upon the decision that, you know, why not march upon the realm? Why not control everything. We're solars. We're meant to be. And 
somewhere along the line, she encountered the uh, Nightcast and his slave at the time, the Majestic. And after all that went down with the Majestic, uh, the Countess slaying the Nightcast, she kind of just rolled with it, really. Especially because the Nightcast hadn't told you that he was exalted. Yeah, yeah, which was a bit of a slight. <laughs> the Nightcast seemed awfully disposable, whereas the Majestic seems like they got style. Yeah, yeah, essentially. Now, the queen, to describe her, is a person of, a person of very powerful personality. She has a very big presence, despite having very average look. She essentially looks like a... <coughs> Frumpy! Yeah, she was essentially... She essentially looked like a 13-year-old boy. Very, uh, below average in every way. But heavily char charismatic. She's a, uh, dancer. She's a... Kind of a politician, essentially. Very much the high priest cast. And, uh, from there, it wasn't too long after that that we encountered the Wanderer. And from there, founded, uh, Juan May. This is the, uh, the Rose of the South. Okay. So, Interactions uh, with the other characters? Before that, I was going to ask about... Uh, so, she exalted. Um, she wants to be in charge. Uh, or is she, does she still want to be queen of everything? Yeah, actually. I think so. It's Her original goal was to restore the Solar Deliberative and just kind of rule them out alongside them. And now she's... The more she learns about the First Age and how that all went down, how bloodily that went down... Uh, the more she is considering, you know, maybe that's not the best idea. Maybe, maybe only one of us should rule above all else. Oh boy. Um, so yeah, I think then, um, yeah, let's talk about your interaction with other characters, starting with the NPCs. Alright. The Nightman, she's actually quite envious of him. Uh, the way he interacts with, you know, the people... Uh, his philosophies. It's something that she can't quite conceptualize herself, but she understands the, sh the, the magnitude of it, how people react to him, how he's just, you know, he can be amongst them. And he expects no reward for it. He goes around and is a, in, is a hero, essentially. This idea of self-sacrifice or giving up yourself for others. Yeah, and it's, like I said, it's not something she can fully grasp. But it's something that she understands. She understands that she can't do that. She isn't that. It's fairly damning for her personality. <laughs> yeah, because that's originally what she wanted when she uh, started her whole first cult. Was uh, She wanted to be that. You know? What do you think of the Nightman uh, withholding information from you guys? I think for her, it's mostly she's hurt by it. She she goes to him for uh, you know advice and you know counsel a lot on what they're doing. Because he's, he's someone who has never held back on his opinion of it. Well, actually not quite. He does hold back, but he does let his opinion be known. He isn't quite like the Countess, where, you know, we can do no wrong. He'll let us know when we're doing something awful. He won't know the extent to which we're doing it, but, uh... So... She probably... uh, I, think, I think the times, the few times that you, you've gone to him for advice... He's basically, his suggestion has been, like, take a double take of what you're planning to do here. Mm -hmm. Does this really feel like this is going to be the best for people? Which, 
Unfortunately, his advice, she does not take to heart too often. As, uh, as our latest game has, uh... Oh, it's gonna be so good. Uh, but yeah, that's generally her opinion. She admires him, he frustrates her, she does consider him entirely an equal. Uh, she considers all exalted to be equals, or to have the potential to be equals. Even the very strange ones that she's, uh, encountered. Such as, uh, liminals and... Exigence. Exigence, yes. Well, yeah, we have encountered an exigent. You have. Got a little slum mongrel. Mm. Yeah. And a liminal. Yeah, I haven't seen that. The butcher. But yeah, that's definitely her opinion about him. Um, and then there's the countess. The countess. She. It's hard to say she despises her. <laughs> though. But only because I have a sore throat. <laughs> Yes, um, the queen essentially despises psychophants. She hates people that refuse to, uh, share their own opinion. She hates people that, you know, sugar up their words. But her opinion is that we're awesome and can never fail. Yeah. She's not afraid to hold, to give up her opinion. You just don't like her opinion. <laughs> Fair enough. There are opinions that are... You two are now. hypocrites. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Essentially, the idea that we can do no wrong and the fact that she's like this seems unnatural. I think that's a better way to put it. She thinks it's unnatural that she finds everything we do completely infallible. Mm -hmm. and, uh, Even the stuff that contradicts itself. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And really, for, for sycophants, like... Even if they are being completely genuine, the fact that they're so, like, ridiculous about it makes you think that they're being disingenuous. Yeah, it's like, so. she's almost not her own person so much as an extension of... My ego? Yes, yes. <laughs> and it's very hard, like, uh... Like, lately the queen has been lashing out at her simply because it's kind of coming to a head, that kind of thing. Many things are going to be coming to a head when, uh, this, this session three of, uh, story two happens. Yes, yes, so she does... She wants her to be her own person. She wants her to actually act like a advisor. And another thing is she heavily disapproves of her praise of the first age and what it was like. Because she knows the Countess wants to see a return to that form. And it's just very diametrically opposed to the idea of that happening. So, you think the Countess and the way she, she talks about how it was when the Solars ruled, you think she might be wrong or she might be not properly portraying events as it were? Yeah, essentially. I think she's... And that's from interactions with other people who, who kind of have knowledge of that kind of stuff? Yeah, particularly the Nightman and his view of it. I tend to value his advice more simply because he's more... What would the Killer Queen do if, like, you know, uh, however many decades down the road, in-game this happens, you guys, uh, like, like bring back the first age exactly as the Countess wanted. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you kind of get, like, put to the side, and, like, the Majestic and everyone else goes ahead with the original first age, and it's exactly as she described. Perfect and beautiful, full in every way. And you turn out to be the wrongest man in Wrongville. I think she'd fall apart. That would essentially be... She spent so many centuries fighting against this and railing against it and thinking it could be the worst possible thing. Yeah, I essentially think she would fall apart. Like, uh... Powerful. Yeah, see, the thing is that it is beautiful and awesome and everything. Uh, the first age But so is a tiger. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Like, the first age is everything that she says. People fucking love sacrificing themselves to us and to the Unconquered Sun. They love that shit. The 
point that the Killer Queen and the Nightman have is that it's wrong to do human sacrifice and all this other stuff. I don't even know. I don't get what their problem is. It, it seems like a foreign idea. <laughs> That's another issue. She, ex- she takes issue with the fact that they will tell the Countess something and she will try to worm her way around it in such a way that she's still following it to the word. But... <laughs> she's so good at that. Yeah. No more human sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. The Killer Queen basically demanded there be no more human sacrifices. So the cult, not the Countess, the cult decided that certain types of criminals no longer counted as human... For the and they were okay to sacrifice because they said cattle were okay to sacrifice, and then the count the, the countess was like, yeah, oh, they came to that decision on their own, and I just said it. It sounded so, it sounded like a, a very solid reasoning, very logical. And essentially, at that point, she just gave up. It was it's not worth it. Close enough. <laughs> <laughs> Close enough. So yeah, that's that's her opinion on the countess. Void within without. Void within without. She. Your ally, actually. It's really hard to put a finger on what she thinks of him. She dislikes that he's a shitster, which he is increasingly proving to be. Yes, he does stir the pot. Yeah, and essentially he does it behind her back. Um, and she she has thrown him out of their magical meeting room, the place where they often meet to discuss their... Can I describe... Can I explain that concept one more time, just for first-time listeners? All right, guys. You know Star Trek Voyager... Okay, it was kind of awful. It was halfway competent. In Star Trek Voyager, whenever the episode needed to throw all the science fact out of the room, the entire cast would convene in the magic meeting room. This was that office next to the bridge. With the coffee dispenser. Yeah, with the coffee dispenser and the table, and Jane would sit at the head of the table with a gun in her hand and basically demand that they fix the problem. Uh, because Jane was amazing and a psychopath. <laughs> so the magic meeting room is is a place where... People could basically hand-wave reality and how actual science works just to get the plot going along and to be more shock value and to, like, get the get the ratings up for sweeps week. The magic meeting room is basically when Q would show up because they de- definitely needed ratings at the time. So in, in our game, the magic meeting room is a meeting room next to their throne room where basically every important decision and plan they have happens. It'll usually be every solar that, that is there, and then whoever allies are present, and whatever other NPCs they want at the time to just hang out to give their input. And yes, the Killer Queen often starts kicking people out of the magic meeting room when their opinions don't line up with hers. Yeah, that's why she does it. <laughs> That's totally why she does it, yes. Uh, You're not playing the Countess right now, Devin. What are you doing? <laughs> uh, Void Within Without essentially has tried to turn the solars against each other in very subtle, unsubtle ways. At which point she's like, get the fuck out. When he starts being uh, sycophantic? Yeah, she doesn't take the stick to his face yet, but uh, that that may have to happen eventually. Or he'll manipulate the Countess using using the same kind of knowledge, the, the same kind of like troll logic she uses. Yeah, he knows what he she's like, so he can manipulate her. He knows how to press those fucking buttons. Yeah, exactly. So, she tries to keep them apart. It's also very unhard to manipulate the Majestic. It's very easy. Yeah. So, it's essentially coming to the part where she, she's not sure she needs him, but he's useful. But his personality is grating. And well, she, she hasn't got to know him yet. They yeah. don't... I've heard this comment from from Nicole too that that Void Without is grating or agitating, but it's like I don't think I'm agitating. He's just 
He's he's just a non-existent. He's not. He's a, he's a non-entity. non-entity. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like you'll talk about how you go to the nightman for advice and shoot the shit with him, but I don't think you've ever gone to Void of Him without for advice or input. Um, we basically go to him when we need stuff to be made. It's like, hey, we need a bunch of armor really fast. Make it of all these bones you have. We did discuss uh, sieges with him and how we might take the rest of the self. And, and that also was more the food of a... issue. Yeah, like, we do go to him for issues. I mean, just... you, the killer queen, haven't, like, taken him aside and, like, just talked about planning or advice or input or, or any sort of uh, um, advisory roles. Yeah, we have definitely had other things on our plates, though. It might be something worth pointing out, though. He, he really hasn't had a time to kind of give his input on things. No. He was also with you when you went and dealt with Noki. Yeah, he was actually quite helpful there. Was he? With the salt and the like. Oh, he gave us salt at one time, yeah. Yeah. And still everyone was like, why didn't you help us in that fight? It was like, he totally All he let me... did was sit there and he threw some salt at us and be like, there you go, there's your solution. Mm-hmm. He doesn't like doing stuff. <laughs> Fair enough, he's a teenager. He's not a teenager, he's like 12. Yeah. He just he doesn't should, like to... He should still be filled with like, childhood energy. He don't died! Do it does tend to take the childhood energy out of someone. He died, abyssal exalted, went to the mouth of the void and stared into oblivion and threw his old identity in there. Kind of <laughs> like how the master store stared into the heart of the time vortex and went nuts from it. <laughs> then we killed one of his uh, circle mates. Oh, whatever. Fuck that, Fuck that guy. I really don't think he cares about that either. He really doesn't. Good for him. The fact that people keep bringing it up, it's like, oh, oh no, that guy. I don't think we ever brought it up to him, actually. People bring it up every once in a while and it's like, oh no... Who cares? So yeah, basically still kind of a non-entity. Uh, once we... Once everything blows over here... <laughs> blows over or blows up. <laughs> then, uh, yeah, we might move on to him or back to the Nightman or... Whichever comes first. But yeah, that's him. Alright. There's also Slum Mongrel, which we haven't really interacted with. Again, much. non-entity. Yeah. Kind of left. We hung out with him a little... He's an exigent. Uh, he seemed alright. We'll talk about him on the other podcasts. The one exalted that the Queen has met that none of the other circle have met is a uh, the Butcher. Mm. Who is a liminal. And uh, they had a singular encounter well in uh, Chiroshiro that ended with uh, the Nightman being disarmed. Literally. literally. Quite literally, yes. And uh, this liminal who had been Essentially hired to be a mindless, or created to be a mindless... Enforcer? Enforcer. I think we'll get into more of the details when we do the season one recap. Yeah. But you essentially, you've met this limo called the Butcher, and you were able to negotiate your way out of him killing you guys, and he went and did his own thing. He left. Yeah. Without ever saying a word in the entire negotiations, mm-hmm. uh, he you convinced him to leave, and he did. By dancing at him. He might show up again, he might not, who can say? Yeah. It's a big, wild, scary world out there. Yeah, so, there's that. Then there are the uh, others in the circle. I think I'll start with the Traveler, since he's the newest. Uh, the Queen likes fucking with him. <laughs> That's actually generally her role with a lot of the others in her circle, is she's very... She likes giving them false information or playing at them and seeing what uh, what works. <laughs> Uh, like with him, she'll feed him false information, horrible things. Like what? Uh, your shaper toy. Uh, oh, right! It'll eat your soul. 
Oh. Sounds like a little doll. That's all it is. And you told him it would eat his soul. God damn it, it was amazing. Yeah. The, like, one of the queen's major intimacies is towards her circle. And, you know, she's trying to keep them together, essentially. She wants them to mesh well. And mm-hmm. her sense of humor is very... What's the word I'm looking for? She doesn't know when a joke has gone too far, essentially, <laughs> so I think it can, tends to grade against the other circles. You mean how she keeps circle. saying she's going to sell Skyward <laughs> She doesn't to try to people? sell him. She tries to marry him off. We'll get more into that later. <laughs> <laughs> it comes up often, though. Yeah, so that's the Traveler. It's, you know, he's... He's fairly new. new. Yeah. You know, I, I don't expect to have, like, a lot of detailed uh, kind of thoughts into his, his thought processes. Probably uh, when season two comes to a close, we'll do another one of these with everyone again. Yeah. And then we'll have, like, Jeremy here for that or whatnot. Yeah. You know, we'll do, like, a pizza day or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Wanderer is someone she... Uh, she meshes with quite, quite well, actually. Uh, they have... Uh, for reference, the Wanderer is the Dawn cast played by Anthony, who's yes. been absent a few times, but he'll he'll be up later. Yeah, uh, they have a lot of combat synergy. Synergy. They work together very well. Um, yes, they do. They have somewhat similar viewpoints on a lot of things, such as the first stage and human sacrifice. They both tend to disapprove. I think they both when. The human sacrifice was kind of coming to a head. They essentially both came to the conclusion separately that, uh, you know, the Countess either had to cut that shit out or die. (laughs) And, um, yeah, they have fought alongside each other quite well. The Wanderer's great. He's a great guy to fight with, you know. He's a a stand-up dude. He doesn't have a lot of of controversial opinions. He's also mildly hedonistic in the way he... He likes to eat a lot. Yeah, he enjoys... He's Son Goku. Yeah, he enjoys food. He enjoys wine. That's something the queen can appreciate. She enjoys simple things in life. And then that moves on to the uh, the Majestic. So, <laughs> what does the Majestic and the Killer Queen think of each other? The Majestic? The Killer Queen is the solo that he's interacted with the most. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. basically the heart of this group at this point. Yeah, they've... like, And when they're on their own... They get along really well. They go to... They, they do political stuff really well together. Um, they both... Aren't, don't seem to be the types that would just jump into combat right away. Like, they, they think of, like, more intellectual ways to go about things. And yeah, they get along really well, normally, if the Countess isn't around. If the Countess is around, then they do not get along. <laughs> no, essentially... The queen will always, like, become very irritated with the countess, and by extension, um, the majestic, because he's so easily manipulated by her. Yes. Um, he... Holy vey, I was going to say something that I don't remember. But yeah, uh, he likes the killer queen, uh, he definitely respects her, especially her, like, her, her combat style is dancing. So he respects her combat prowess, but more to the point, he respects how she can dance really well. He's really impressed with that. He's like, that's beautiful. It's definitely something that he lacks. He's very beautiful. Like, he has appearance five. He is a beautiful man in the sense of, like, you'd almost think he was a woman. He's he's pretty. He's not handsome. Uh, and he's very intelligent, like, super intelligent, but he's not very sociable. He's not very good at people. 
Um, whereas the Killer Queen is basically the opposite of that. She's, you know, kind of dumpy or whatever. She's not super attractive. Um, she's also very boyish. And she's really good at people, though. It doesn't matter that she's not, like, the most beautiful because she's the most charismatic. She, she's very personable. She likes interacting with people and socializing. Exactly. And that's something that he very much admires um, and recognizes that he lacks. Um, not necessarily the interacting with people part. He doesn't really understand that he lacks that. But, like, her grace, everything like that, he definitely admires. Um, he... Yeah, he actually likes her, whereas other people in the party, you know, he'll respect, or he'll be like, okay, that person is a person. Um, the Killer Queen, he actually enjoys being around. He likes being around her. But anytime they interact with anybody who exists, anytime they interact with anybody, she keeps trying to marry him off. She keeps trying to, like, basically sell him. And that's something he very much doesn't understand or like. It. The Majestic's actually asexual, so he doesn't have any kind of, like, want to get with these people at all, and it makes him very uncomfortable when they want to get with him, because he's like, um, I don't know what's going on. And then she's like, hey, I'm going to let you marry this person as if I own them. I don't think he quite understands that it's a joke, especially... He doesn't understand that it's a joke. So he's like, does she just hate me that much that she wants to get rid of me? Or... Does she think that she has the right to sell me to people? He ha he still has a lot of whole issues with the fact that he used to be a slave. Uh, any kind of, like, assumption that he doesn't have the, own, the right to himself, his own body, his own whatever, it, it's something that really gets under his skin. It's something that he just cannot stand. So either she hates him enough that she's constantly trying to sell him, or she thinks that she has the right to sell him, which is just unacceptable. And <sighs> yeah, and for her, it is largely a joke that has gotten essentially out of hand when she tried to. Uh... Well, essentially, she volunteered him for marriage to a infernal they did battle with. Oh, we should bring him up as an NPC. Probably in the season one recap. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, essentially it was a uh, a competition of sorts, and the loser would be forced... If the uh, Solars lost, then the two of them would be forced to marry this uh, admiral. It was, it was the classic, you know, if you beat it, you get a violin made of gold. If you lose, you have to go down to hell and marry the devil. Yeah, very much that. And uh, the queen was fully willing to... Uh, volunteer for this simply because you know we're not going to lose but the majestic was not paying attention at the time so she just volunteered to both of them <laughs> and we won we did win <laughs> technically um, no we didn't he also basically he attributes the fact that the killer queen hates the countess so much he takes uh, it personally. He yeah, he definitely takes it personally. He doesn't understand... Okay, the Countess tells Skyward that he's awesome. And for some reason, that upsets the Killer Queen. And he's like, I don't understand why that should upset you. I am awesome. Why is that a bad thing to be told that I'm awesome? It's the truth. And he's like, okay, so... He basically thinks it's jealousy at this point. <laughs> 
like the it's a way, fair enough assumption. Yeah, the way that she's constantly like, anytime someone tells him that he's great, she gets like all like huffy about it, and at one point beat the countess with a stick. Um, she hit her once hard. Oh yeah, yeah. I hit her. I only hit her once. Very good, Kevin. In the side of the face. But yeah, uh, he <laughs> you didn't leave a mark. He basically attributes it to jealousy because he can't understand what other reason there would be for it. Like either that or she just hates him, and she might just hate him because she does keep trying to get rid of him. But he doesn't understand why he's doing like anything he can to be her friend. Um, she just keeps trying to sell him, and keeps, like, hating everyone that tells him that he's great. And he just, he doesn't understand her. He doesn't Sounds like the Majestic has a fair, has uh, his fair share of personality issues. Yeah. That stop him from understanding other people. Well, yeah, he is very much a megalomaniac, so... He even has the flaw. Yeah, so the Countess telling him that he's awesome and being a sycophant, it doesn't grate on him or anything, because he believes that. And he's like, yeah, she also believes that. She's fantastic. She knows the truth and is great. Yeah. And the fact that he basically owns the Countess, uh, and then the Killer Queen is, like, hitting her with a stick and stuff. The first time it, like, the time that she actually was going to hit the Countess with, or the, yeah, Countess with a stick, right? Um, the Majestic basically was just going to sit there, and he didn't really believe that she would do it. He thought that it was just a threat. Because he's like, yeah, she's not going to hit my friend. She belongs to me. So the Killer Queen's not going to hurt her. That's mine. You don't break my stuff. Uh, and then she did. <laughs> I think it was the fact that Majestic didn't like get up or react to it before she did it that kind of spurred her on to do it. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, like I, legit, he did not think that she would actually do it uh, because the Countess is his. Uh, even if she doesn't like the Countess for some odd bizarre reason. Unfathomable. Unfathomable. It, it, it cannot be fathomed. Exactly. Um, yeah. We get along very well when we're not around other people. When we are around other people, we seem to just... Spiral out of control? Yes. Yeah. Get into arguments and everything all the time. And it's sad, because, yeah, the, the Majestic does like the killer. Maybe the fact that she is constantly trying to sell him and stuff, is the reason why he likes her more. Maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's like the fact that she doesn't like him is why he's like, no, you have to like me. Hey. Why don't you like me? Yeah. Because he's so egotistical that he doesn't understand why someone... What? Him. What? The Killer Queen is nagging him? Hmm? The Killer Queen is nagging him? <laughs> I don't understand what Oh, you know what nagging is? Well, I know what nagging is. I don't understand what you're saying, though. Like the Killer Queen's intentionally doing it to get, to get his attention? Yeah, it's like... She treats him shittily because she wants him. Maybe, oh my yeah. god, that's super sundary. <laughs> yeah, actually, that oh might actually. Oh my god, that, that does make sense because um, yeah, she keeps trying to like sell him and stuff, but and then she but then she gets annoyed when someone else tells him that he's great. It's like, does she hate me or does she just really? Oh like my god, the killer queen's really a like bully me? with a crush. <laughs> right, that's basically what he's like. Is that the case? And the killer queen has been raising her appearance to make because everyone keeps calling her fugly. You've been prettying yourself up so senpai will notice you. <laughs> Um, oh my god. She gets converted to she's gonna be like, what? <laughs> no. This is what's happening. There's like pamphlets written about that this is definitely happening and everyone's laughing at you. <laughs> well, if, that, if that were the case, um, he would be awkward about it because he is like, oh, she's gonna want me to do stuff. 
<laughs> I don't want to do stuff. I just imagine everyone, like, when they walk by you, giving you, like, a pitying look. It's like, it's okay, one day. <laughs> What's especially funny is, I think a large part of why she started the whole trying to sell him off thing, or why it became more of a running joke, is because they'd essentially look at her. Most of them would be like, eh. Yeah, every time this happened, and this has happened, like, two or three times now, it's like, they'll get into an argument with some larger, like, mythic entity, and it'll be like, fine, do this, but if you fail, you'll have to be my bride in hell! And he'll look at, like, the killer queen who's probably doing the ghost and be like, yo! And then be like, oh, you're, like, really frumpy-looking appearance one. And then I will slide over to the Majestic, who's appearance five and gorgeous, and be like, all right, the two of you average out to a three out of five, so let's go with that. <laughs> and that's why it keeps happening all yeah. the time. To be clear, the Majestic doesn't uh, comment on your appearance, though. Everyone else Everyone does else unspokenly. Does. Yeah. So yeah, that's a large part of why she does it. It's, uh, it's like, you're taking it out. You're taking out your fugliness on the majestic. Because yes. he's prettier than you. Because he's prettier than you. It's super petty. It's really petty. Yes. Pettiness drives like most of the major conflicts in this game at this point. Uh, yeah, we do a lot of shit just to uh, just out of petty revenge and uh, to be spite. awful to one another. So spite. much spite. <laughs> It worked. Alright. Well, is there anything else you guys want to talk about for the kind of intro to the game? Um, I think that's really everything. That's how we get along. Um, a lot of misunderstanding happening from the Majestic. <laughs> you know, I'm going to take this opportunity to talk about uh, The Great Curse, because um, it's something that's come up on the forum a bit, and this, this should help set the stage for people um, wondering when limit breaks happen. So, how 3rd edition does limit breaks, um, basically when you accrue enough limit, which goes up to 10, and uh, you, you have a break, it doesn't happen right away. It basically happens at the worst possible moment. And, and when you were saying that thing about misunderstandings, that made me, you know, think about it to kind of explain it. So, you know, it's not like in 2nd edition or 1st edition where you run out screaming or like stealing things or stabbing people because you're a nutcase. It's more like any time you guys have seen a movie or TV show or read a book, where two characters could reconcile once and for all, and then some little thing happens that ruins it forever, and you're like, no, if he just did this, or if they just talked about that, or if this just happened, it would have been fine. The Great Curse is that one thing. Oh, I hate that. That always makes me so sad. That is what The Great Curse is from a, from, from a standpoint of a literary standpoint. So when you get to limit 10, you'll limit break at the worst possible time that something could have gone great for you. And you'll fuck it up. And ruin it forever. So that's the thing to watch out with, with, with how your relationships are kind of... You, you guys have relationships in this game, but they're starting to get strained as you guys have different opinions and different personalities. And when you guys start to limit break, you're probably going to start to chain react off of each other. Mm -hmm. Based on the amount of limit you guys have been storing up over time. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's been like, getting up. It's been adding up lately. Yeah. For the Majestic, it's basically... Um, basically being condescended to, being... Delib like people deliberately frustrating him, but more to the point, it's really more. It all ties back to his whole ownership issues. His his personality problems. Yeah, like his it's baggage. Not, it's not just someone you know being a jerk to him. Um, it's more being a jerk to him in a way that they think that they're better than him, uh, and also the whole treating him like he doesn't have a right to his own freedom, his own body, all this other kind of stuff. That's 
really the thing that does it for him. Um, like, the whole, like, pretending you're gonna sell me thing, that's not really, that wouldn't, I wouldn't really count that towards it. It's more like, if you were literally negotiating to sell him. Or it was like, some entity was like, to the Killer Queen, keep your servant in check, and the Killer Queen did not correct them. Yeah. Yeah. He'd be like, excuse me? Is this happening? Are we rolling? Yeah. yeah. Like, um, was that an attack? She's perfectly aware he was a slave, so... Oh, that's another thing I was going to mention. She's the only one that does know. Uh, there's a couple people that know that the Majestic was a slave. Uh, the whole... Everyone that was in the merchant troop at the time happened to have been the first ones that were there are three, to be sacrificed. There are three people that know the Majestic was once a slave. Killer Queen, the Majestic, and the Countess. Everyone yes. else is dead. Yes. <laughs> Through uh, various means. The Queen definitely took notice of that when the... <laughs> As she should. Especially when she noticed that when, you know, the Nightcast was murdered, and she was like, oh, is this... Let me think back, it's like, is that when the Nightcast was murdered? Yeah. It's, I think that's part of... Opportunity. That was her initial distrust regarding the uh, Countess, was, you know, this, all that happened. Mm-hmm. Um. Oh, what were we just talking about? Oh, the Limit only break. people that know she that he was a slave, right? Um, and when the uh, the traveler came in, we were talking about uh, the past nightcast that we had, and it seemed like the killer queen was going to mention the fact that he was uh, that the majestic was that guy's slave before, and he like very much talked over that. He, it's very clear that he doesn't want people to know about that. And he's, like, very, like, ashamed of it. Even though, like, it was no fault of his own, obviously. But he's very ashamed of his past. Okay. Yeah, no, that's that's good fodder. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, the queen thinks of the past as something that you, you know, you overcome. You shouldn't be ashamed of it because it's not you, who you are anymore. So, essentially to her, she doesn't really understand why it's a big deal. <laughs> uh, what is the Killer Queen limit break from? Like, what, what is her shtick? Uh, cruelty to others was a major one. Um... Another is generally emotional dishonesty. Dishonesty towards others, like, uh... She hates sick fans. Yeah, yeah, essentially that kind of thing, where, you know, you're being emotionally dishonest. Being manipulate, manipulative. Yeah, yeah. Playing off people's feelings and stuff. Mm-hmm. Alright. I'm sure it's gonna make for an excellent, uh, coming to a head. Mm-hmm. Anything else, guys? Yeah. I'm... Yeah, I'm not really sure what the limit breaks for the other two are. Nah, I'm sure it doesn't matter. <laughs> they they have not been a Korean limit at the same scope you you two have. Yeah, yeah especially because you're always around the Countess. So that's been rapidly built in the last few sessions. Yes. Um, I'm pretty sure the Traveler has something to do with um, deliberately roads, yes. breaking roads or something. Some like shit. Yeah, he hates not roads. Stop spelling over. Cup boils over? Did you just make a cup boils over slur? Yes. My god. Um, Alright, uh, yeah. Unless you guys have anything else, I think we'll end uh, it here. Yeah. Sounds good. Okay. Perfect. Alright, and that is the intro. How do I how do I stop this?